Hello, world. Welcome to episode 13 of the Masterful Podcast. My name is Travis Burlingame. 13, my lucky number. We finally made it here. I'm joined by co-host Chris Davis. Chris, how you doing? I am doing well. I am doing so well, dude. Uh, coming off of a beautiful, beautiful, gorgeous football weekend where Oklahoma beat Texas. I mean, it took you guys four overtimes. Does it really count? I'd be lying if I told you I went into cardiac arrest fewer than 17 times. What I'm was, just what saying. Was the final score? The final score was was very close, and it shouldn't have been. I, I honestly, I don't even remember the final score. It was like 53 to... 51-43 or something some, like Something around those. So I don't know, man. Almost 100 points were scored. It took almost 100 points. It was a five... Dude, it was a five-hour game. And the last time I experienced a five-hour game, it was a rain delay. There were no clouds in the sky in the entire city of Dallas yesterday. And we still played a game for five hours. Hey, it's a beautiful day for football. Oh my God. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have a guest on the podcast. Yeah, we do. With us. I am fortunate enough to say that I have known this guest for literally all of my life. Oh, big hint. She, big hint. She met me the day I was born. Oh, big I'm hint. Looking at her right now. So that's like a pretty big gap of time. Ladies and gentlemen, my sister, Carla Burlingame. Carla, how you doing? Welcome. Welcome, Carla. Fantastic. Thank you. I am so honored, by the way, to be the first sister on the podcast. So if Jill wasn't mad about it Nat, before, she will be now. <laughs> Jill, I'm sorry, but uh, Carla came through in the clutch. We didn't have a guest till about an hour before this podcast. I texted Carla and she said, sure. And apparently she made a list, but we will get to the list in a little bit. <laughs> Carla, why don't you introduce yourself to the people? Tell them where you're from, the same place as me. Tell them what you do. You got like a Take minute. a little bit of time, just tell us. I mean, you guys have talked about me so much on the podcast. I feel like the people already know me, okay? Yes, I am Travis's sister, or Travis is my brother, whichever way you'd like to put it. Uh, ah. I like that one. Ah. Yeah. I grew up in uh, in Stowe Creek. I, I currently live in Hopewell Township. I've got a nice little Cape Cod brick house here that I just love. Uh, I am recording from my home. You can kind of see my beautiful artwork behind me. Look at that. Uh, that's, that's all Kaylin for you. This one actually over here, for those of you who can see, watching on on twitch is it's me that's a self-portrait of of me that it's a, wait it's a self-portrait oh, no, not a self-portrait okay <laughs> it's a portrait of me that kaylin did yeah it just looks just not, like not quite self-portrait yeah. now, is, now is, is that jill back there no that's kaylin oh that's um, her oh she did herself. a much better job yeah. on herself right like you look at these two pictures and you're like this is me this is kaylin and i'm like mm, okay i see i see but yeah no. I live here with Jill and uh, my niece and my nephew, Blake and Kaylin. Shout out to them. And uh, I just adore it. Now, I know we're still in, like, the introduction phase, but yeah. I, my mind, you know how it works. What makes a house a Cape Cod? What oh, is so the defining it's, it's feature? It's the style. So the Cape Cod, it, at least as far as it's been explained to me, I am no architectural major or anything like that, is the, the half... Um, the half story on the top. Okay, all right. So like you have rooms without a second floor that defines it as a Cape Cod? It's not that there's there's rooms without a second floor. It's the fact that the second floor has like the angled roof line. 
Oh, okay. Like so it's, it's not a full flat room at the top. You don't have a bunch of boxy rooms on your second exactly. story. Yes. Okay. So my second floor has all angled walls because it's the roof line. So would the house that we grew up in count as a Cape Cod? Choose your answer wisely because somebody could be listening to this recording and going, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> That's not it. Berlin games. <laughs> now look, if you've never been to my house, some some of our listeners definitely have. Some mm -hmm. of them, you know, mm -hmm. built it. But mm -hmm. my dad built my house when I, I guess '88 was when they started working on yeah. it, mm -hmm. and I guess '90 is when they actually did move in. Good year, 1990. Very significant in you know the life of our family. <laughs> um, but it has angle. It's a log cabin that my dad built, and on the second floor, it has angled ceilings. Like there is no drywall; it's just straight up to the angled ceilings. I just wonder if that, if log cabin takes precedence, and it's just a log cabin, get over it, people, or if it's a log cabin Cape Cod. I'm I taking this way deeper yeah, than right? anybody should. <laughs> that is the way Travis's mind works. I so, can confirm after 30 years of experience. So, Carla, what do you do for a living? I teach. What do Children. you teach? Um, I teach social studies and technology. Social studies Ooh. and technology. That's a good little mix right there. It's quite the mix. Yes. Actually, I went to school to become an elementary education teacher. Uh, my dream was to teach first grade. I wanted to teach little kids. And um, I did a um, clinical in a first grade classroom and knew from that moment on that that was not where I was going to be spending my career. <laughs> that was so as somebody who got to observe that happen. Okay. Mm -hmm. For the first, like, I don't know, 18 years of my life, Carla's like, I want to teach first grade. I'm going to teach first grade, first grade. I'm going to be a first grade teacher. Like that's all you ever heard Carla. And it, anybody who knows Carla knows that when she sets her mind to something like that, it's what she's going to do eventually she will end up teaching a first grade classroom and then after like the first week or so of this clinical she did she was like yeah nope i'm never teaching first grade <laughs> that's a hard pass yeah that's a hard yeah. pass so, you get in these classrooms and you know you have these visions in your head of oh i'm actually gonna teach kids how to read and i'm gonna teach kids how to do math and like you're, you're really gonna be changing their lives as you teach them these basics Mm -hmm. And then you get in there and you realize it's a lot of like helping them wipe their nose and tie in their shoes. <laughs> <laughs> so couldn't do it. <laughs> so would you have been better in like third or fourth grade or is middle school like the place for you? So I taught third and fourth grade. I actually spent a year in third grade and a year in fourth grade. And I liked doing that. Um, that was a much better fit for me as far as teaching little kids because those kids they kind of already have the basics down. You don't need to help them, like I said, wipe their noses and, and, and tie their shoes. Um, but yet they're still cute. They're still kids. They're still that fun, everything's exciting age. Um, I mean, that's Kaylin right now, right? Like Kaylin's in fourth grade? Kaylin's third grade. Third yeah. grade. Third grade. Yeah. And it's kind of before they start to get like, at least the way I understand it, it's before they start to get like sassy and uh, hormonal, I guess, for lack of a better phrase. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> But I mean, I, I, no, I haven't. And and maybe one day I will, but I think there's a difference between like little kid sassy and like mm -hmm. sassy. You know what I mean? Like you're getting into it and you're just like picking fights with everything. And whether it's girls or boys, it, it, it doesn't really matter. Because I know that like Kim, she never wanted to really teach above third grade. 
and definitely not middle school because middle school is kind of like the end of middle school or like early high school is kind of where they start firing on all cylinders to just like everything just explodes. I, I don't think I need to explain it to anybody out there what happens around that age. Right. Nope. Tra Travis, you good on that? Are you sure? <laughs> I just want to make sure. I had to Google it, but I'm all right. Okay, good, 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 good. But the, uh, on the other end of that, the time when I was doing my college clinical work and then I did my student teaching in fourth grade, I was also working with high schoolers through the marching band. So I taught both of you guys when you were in high school marching band. Uh, yep. So I was doing that and I was really enjoying that. But you also have to understand that's a very like niche area like these kids have chosen to be there they're excited about being there they're not really trying to give you a hard time hey th what you what you're asking me to do right now is hard because i'm tired and it's nine o'clock at night and i'm cranky i mean, I mean th to be fair they're what you were in high school yeah. for lack of a better way to put it if you were teaching the football team i oh. doubt would have liked it as much as you yeah, did no. <laughs> yeah but I, did, I, I hadn't gone to college or co yeah, college for uh, high school certifications. So I, I knew that I could not go into high school. So then um, the opportunity came uh, where I, I was teaching at Bridgeton Christian School. That's where I taught third and fourth grade. Mm -hmm. um, they actually offered me to move up into the fifth grade position. Now, you also have to understand I had taught third grade. I had eight students seven of those students became my fourth grade students with the addition of one other kid into that class. So I had taught these kids for two years in a row now. Yep. And then they offered me to move into the fifth grade position. So it would have been the same core group of seven students that I had taught for the previous two years. And I was also looking to be at a point in my life where um, working at the Christian school was really great, but it was terrible money. And not everything's about money, but I had plans where I wanted to move out of my parents' house and, and do, you know, a little bit more uh, with being able to travel and, and do some things. So being I needed, an adult. Yeah, I yeah. needed to step up and, and get a, a different job. So um, I went on this interview kind of on a, a whim to Bridgeton and then was offered the job that I currently have um with the middle school kids and going into that i was nervous as all get out i was like i had never worked with middle school kids before i didn't know what i was getting myself into and i love it i love it so that little bit of sass that you were talking about earlier i need that in my life <laughs> that's i mean that's fair that's entirely fair now yeah. now my question is so you moved into this middle school role and you're, you're doing yep. you just said it's very specifically you're teaching social studies and you're teaching technology mm -hmm. now mm -hmm when you were interviewing for this job was mm -hmm. social studies, the thing that you were offered or was it, do you like get to choose what specific subject you teach? Is it your favorite? Like walk me through that. Okay. So I was told basically by uh, somebody I knew that Bridgeton was looking for a technology teacher. Okay. And um, the supervisor for the technology department at the time was friends with the person who told me, Hey, you should go interview for this job. So basically Name recognition got me the interview. Also, my grandfather worked for the district. Not that that really means anything, but you see the last name Burlingame, you know, hey, this is a relative of Jim, who was our mail guy for 20 yeah. years now. And so I got the interview kind of through both of those um, facets, through the friend who recommended it to me and through my grandfather. And then I'm sitting there in the interview room and they're asking me all these questions about technology. Like, what are some of your favorite technological programs? How familiar are you with this and that? And like, I'm just 
making it up almost lying <laughs> yeah what else what else do you do in an interview <laughs> i mean that's fair that's I fair am perfect for everything if you want me to do ballet on point i got that too <laughs> Like, even just down to what kind of experience do you have working with kids? Well, I've taught third and fourth grade. I've taught high school students. What experience do you have with middle school kids? None. You know, but... You know, I've like, interacted with people within yeah. that age bracket from time to time. Like, <laughs> I, I know what they're like beforehand, and I know what they're like afterwards, okay? Yeah. The middle is just a black box. I don't know. The most I had at that point was uh, through my church. I helped out with a youth center that was geared towards sixth through eighth graders. And I was like, I work with them at a youth center at my church. Go. And they're like, that sounds great. You're hired. Right. Actually, it wasn't quite that simple. It was uh, weeks. So I went on this interview at the end of July and it, it was actually three quarters of the way through August. Um, it was a Monday morning and I my phone rings and I didn't pick it up because I was asleep in bed and I figured, you know what, they can just leave me a message. And uh, so I pick up the phone and I listen to the message and it's the woman from Bridgeton's HR department saying, I've been hired for this position uh, and do I want it? Because they, they have to know. Now this is, like I said, like Monday, I call them back and she says, okay, you have to be at orientation on Wednesday. So I had to do orientation that Wednesday, Thursday. School started the next week. Um, so oh, my God. Yeah. So I was thinking I wasn't going to have a job that fall. And then they called me up and uh, that was it. And wow. I wasn't even board approved until after I started teaching. Oh, that's comforting. <laughs> now, you know I remember saying, like, am I allowed to start the school year? Because the board meeting wasn't until, like, September 10th. And the school year started on, like, September 4th that year. So I taught for a full week wow. before I was even board approved. Do you know if they like offered it to somebody else and came back to you when you thought it was so late? Or is that school just really disorganized? Are you asking me that question because you know the answer? I don't know the answer. No, okay. <laughs> yes, they offered it to two other people before me. Do you know who so, the people were? I do not know who the people were, but um, the head teacher at my school at the time kind of to motivate me to like step up and be the best I could be told me that he would that I was not his first choice um I wasn't even his second choice but um that, nice guy yeah well I mean he, he really was he really is but uh um but yeah told me that I was not either his first or second choice that I was his third choice and um I I really needed to prove myself so wow I I guess I mean that is one way to motivate, I guess. Yeah. yeah, so I busted my butt to make myself indispensable, and I guess I did because you know they still had me there. Well, um, I mean, there you go. Yeah, but hey. you, you had asked, how did I get into technology and social studies? Yeah, that was the long story of being hired specifically for the technology position. And the first year, that's all I did. I only taught technology. Now, coming out of college, I spent two and a half years substituting coming out of college, doing nothing else except just substituting because I couldn't get a job. Right. I graduated in 2008 um, and all the school district's budgets went, you know, down. Oh, that the, was the year the recession went. Down the drain, yep. yeah. Oh, yep. So yeah, yeah. there were tons of teachers losing their positions at the time. So as an inexperienced teacher, I, I couldn't get a job. Everybody who hired me as a substitute loved me, but, you know, that didn't mean... Yeah, they could give me a job. Um, so in that time when I was trying to um, find a job, it, I was doing anything to try to make myself more hireable. So um, I realized I had enough college credits in social studies fields to get my middle school 
teaching certificate for social studies. So all I had to do was take a test. I took the test, I passed the test, they gave me the certificate, so I had my middle school uh, social studies certificate. I also at that same time went through the process of getting an ESL uh, certificate of eligibility. So I had just these random certificates that I could say, hey, I'm qualified in all these fields to gotcha. teach. And actually, I was teaching the middle school technology on my middle school social studies certificate, because in order to teach a certain grade level, you have to at least be certified to teach that grade level. Right, so right. So there's no official computer science certificate required in New Jersey, at least at that time. There is now for actual like computer science classes. Mm -hmm. um, and they're, they're going to start making it so that you can't just be a technology teacher without having some sort of technology, you know, background and stuff. But that's coming in the next year or so. You're I already grandfathered be, I'll, in. I'll be grandfathered into okay. that, yeah. But at the time, yeah, I was hired for the middle school position on my middle school social studies certificate. But my head teacher at the time, um, who's kind of the person who sets the schedule and stuff like that, he didn't realize I had a social studies certificate until the next uh at the end of the school year every year they ask you are you coming back and mm -hmm. um on that form one of the things they ask you to do is is list all of your certifications so i listed my three certifications which was k-6 to elementary gen education um middle school social studies and my esl certificate of eligibility and he goes you have social studies certificate i said yeah he's like i'm making you teach one of the social studies classes next year I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, you are. Great. Super yeah, duper. Super. So yeah. like, so social studies then is, is something that like that subject is something you were actually interested in, which is the reason why you got the certificate and had done all those college credits. So or... um, when you major in uh, education, you have to pick a secondary subject to go along with that. Okay. So when I initially went into Rowan University, I was going to do elementary education with my secondary being music. Um, and what I would have done is I would have come out with a music minor, not to become a music teacher, but just would have had music as like my secondary Another, to like, elementary education. Yeah. Yeah, sort of. It would basically just have been a fancy feather in the cap, you know? But uh, when I applied, and I actually had to go and audition for the music program at Rowan and everything, um, like a week after I auditioned, they sent me a letter, and uh, they said, we're discontinuing the music as your secondary choice to elementary <laughs> education. You have to choose another. Thanks, Rowan. Yeah. Like, I brought my flute to a surf camp, okay? Because I was going right from surf camp to... Um, my audition at Rowan. I had to leave the surf camp early one weekend. I remember practicing my flute like in a, a, a hallway way out in the Votech because I didn't want anybody to hear me because I was like, I can't have a flute at surf camp. <laughs> That's going to be really hard. You, you destroy your chops playing a trumpet all day yep. Yep. and then you have oh, to yeah. go make a whistle. <laughs> like... Oh yeah. When my flute teacher at Rowan, because I actually did take lessons at Rowan for two years, um, found out that I played in a drum and bugle course, she tried to tell me to quit. She was like, you can't do both. And I was like, well, I'm not quitting, so. <laughs> huh. I'll well, drop this before I quit, home. Yeah. Do you want to buy my flute? Because I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Peace. Um, yeah, really. But um, so I had to choose a different um, secondary. 
And um, I'm looking at the list and I just wasn't interested in anything. And geography was one of the secondaries. And mom yeah. um, had done geography when she went through college and uh, she loved it. She was like, the professors are fantastic. You get to learn all about the world. She's like, just do geography. So that's what I did. So all the geography classes equaled the social studies certificate, basically. Gotcha. So. Yeah, I actually came out of Rowan, and this was the advantage of doing the geography with two degrees. Like, I have two bachelors. Um, I came out with a full geography degree and a full elementary education degree. Nice. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't have even come out with that if I had done music. It just would have been my elementary education degree and then a minor in music. Okay. Um, so, that, you know, it was kind of cool. So I could actually technically go out and use my geography degree and get a job in some geography field, I guess. But what do, you, what do you do with a geography degree? So, interesting question. <laughs> um, you do things like mapping, um, so GIS systems and stuff yep. like that. Um, one of the things that I was told that you could do with a, a geography degree was like go get a job for like Wawa and work on location um, information gathering for where to put a new Wawa. So like okay. you're analyzing maps and traffic and growth of towns and things like that and saying, okay, this area in the next five years is going to explode. So yeah, we want a Wawa right here on this corner. That way we're going to serve you, all Why would people. you want a Wawa there if it's going to explode? Oh, jeez. <laughs> And and that's and that's why that's why we have those types of jobs so that you know things don't blow up, yeah. Travis. Yeah. You would, now you would think yeah, you actually, don't want a Wawa there. That could be another field you could get into with geography. See, see. Now this is really interesting because I don't think I ever knew that about you, Carla. Like we've known each other for literally as long as Travis and I have known each other. Like, and I I didn't know that you had a, a, a secondary geography degree, and that yeah. was like the, the that's the department that housed my major at OU mm -hmm. was the geography mm -hmm. department. So you've mm -hmm. done like, you probably did a little studying on GIS and um, and like maybe a little bit of cartography, probably elements of human and physical geography, all those types, all, all those gonna, types of things. Of I'm gonna yeah. step out of the room for yeah. a minute. So Carla and I are gonna geek oh. out for, for yeah. just a tad here. No, that's no. that's awesome because like I said, that's, that's kind of what I did a lot of my background in. And honestly, if I hadn't graduated with my degree in geography and like that whole field and GIS was going to be, mm -hmm. I actually did GIS work as an intern mm -hmm. out of college for, mm -hmm. uh, for a government agency in Oklahoma. Where oh, cool. where we did um we did map plotting in G like in a GIS system mm -hmm. to basically stack a whole bunch of historical maps and find pipelines underneath of rural or uh, not rural um in in new urban environments. Awesome. Because because people were dr drilling down like yeah. for wells in these it's new the urban pipes. areas and they were hitting the pipes and the water was getting contaminated and they were like well why the hell is this happening so you go back through like fifty years of analytical data in Oklahoma City and you find yeah. all of these pipelines. It yeah. was honestly like it was some of the coolest map work that I had ever done. But. Oh yeah. No, I had a whole class where I did uh, ArcGIS and uh, that was that was awesome because we yes. worked a lot with the uh, census da data and mm -hmm. things like that and uh, it was it was awesome. I had to do I had to do a whole um basically a senior thesis paper uh, when I was graduating and it was my capstone for my geography degree <laughs> yeah <laughs> basically travis is playing rock paper scissors shoot by himself by the way for anybody who can't see what he's doing right now travis is bored um, right now 
Yeah. It's weird. Uh, it's weird for I'm Travis. Saying, I'm just saying, rock, paper, scissors by yourself is harder than you think. Because <laughs> you have to pick both sides of the battle. And you're like, which hand do I want to win? Do I want to tie? Like, So anyway, um, my senior paper ended up being on um, dual dual immersion schools in the state of New Jersey. So dual Ooh. immersion language uh, schools, sorry. And then, so what that is, is they teach in both languages. They'll teach in a target language and then the native language. Mm -hmm. And I mapped them all over the state of New Jersey. And then um, I had to actually compare that to um, relationships of how many of them there were in other states throughout the United States and, and things like that. So I wrote this like 30 page paper with maps all throughout it that I created of, of where these schools were all over uh, the United States and New Jersey specifically. And so it was neat to kind of mix the two fields, the education and the geography. That was like the one time I got to do that. And uh, that's awesome. And do my, my capstone on that. Yeah. I actually, Bridgeton was actually in my capstone paper. Oh, in, cool. in my capstone project that I did, I uh, yeah. that my partner, it, we, we were partnered up for capstone. You could either uh -huh. do you could either do it alone or as uh -huh. a part of like our research methods and capstone class. You could you could do uh, you could have a pairing. And so mm -hmm. if you were pairing, obviously there's twice the weight, twice the work, all that sort of stuff. But what we did was act we actually analyzed building code data in our hometowns versus where we were in Oklahoma. Um, mm -hmm. so we got to analyze like building codes and how things were constructed over a certain period of time. So like I was on the phone with like, like city of Bridgeton public officials for like two or three weeks at a time, just kind of like interviewing them and getting data and recording and doing all the transcribing and all that other sort of stuff. So, um, and then, you know, my partner did the same thing. She was from Marino Valley, California. So she got to do all that. So it was like, we, we kind of put two and two together. That's awesome. I honestly, I did not know that I had no idea. Yeah, I just knew I knew that, you know, like, obviously you're a teacher and all mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. Now, let's go back to technology real quick, because <laughs> right. because they, like I'm curious because like I like to feel like I'm technologically savvy. I worked in a technology mm -hmm. store for however many years and, and did a lot of like troubleshooting and stuff like that. I kind of still work with a lot of technology now. And, you know, mm -hmm. between like gaming and all that sort of stuff, Travis, you have you know some similar experience and whatnot when. I remember in middle school when I was learning technology, it was like, this is how you type or, you know, like these are the important parts of a computer or, you know, this is what a router is like a very basic stuff. And I imagine it's not quite the same. So, um, or is it? To extent, it, it's, it is and it isn't. So okay. I still do teach typing. Like that's a big part okay. of what I do. So I try to, you know, tell the kids, put your hands on the home row keys and use the fingers in the right spots and stuff like that. Now, honestly, I could care less whether or not they use their right fingers on the right keys. And I know there are a lot of times when I'm typing where I'm not using the right fingers on the right keys. But my big thing with them is to just try to get them to use more than just two fingers. Just the pointer and, fingers? And do, do the hen pecking that I, I call it. <laughs> Um, you would not believe how many kids I get in sixth grade who that's how they type with their two pointer fingers, just da -da 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 -da, and it's so slow. Mm -hmm. And it's like, they're looking down at the keyboard, like, where's the next letter I need? And I'm like, no guys, you need to get your heads up on the screen. You need to start using more of your fingers. Like, yeah. so that's my big push is to try to just get them to do it just a little bit better sure. than they do. But I have had students who through my teaching came back to me like a couple years later because they had a sibling in the school or something like that, that 
they've graduated and they've moved on, but they're in high school now and they came back for like parent teacher conferences or something with their little sibling. And they have said to me, I am so glad you made me learn how to type correctly because I type all the time in high school now. And I can't imagine writing like these essays and stuff that I have to do typing the way I used to. Sure. And so that, that's, that is nice have somebody come back and actually thank you for torturing them for three years and there you go. making them type correctly. <laughs> I, I had somebody one time tell me, because they were sending me text messages and whatever, and they would always put the period at the end of the sentence, right? And I'm like, why do you do that? Like, I, like I get it, but you don't have to do it in a text message, like a very informal, where you're spelling love, L-U-V, or whatever, like, situation. Why do you put the period there? And he, and he responded with, if I practice putting the period at the end of the sentence, it becomes more natural for when I have to rush through a paper because it's due tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And it's just like those little habits that doesn't make a difference between our conversation helps me when it gets to crunch time. It's just, it's just an interesting thing. I actually started doing that. There is zero situation in my life where I am ever going to have to write a paper ever again. But I just started putting a period there because I liked the logic behind it. And yep. it was cool. Hey. There's a lot of truth to that. I actually just a couple weeks ago, we're, we're doing a lesson with my technology students. And at the beginning of this school year, it's been very different than the beginning of any other school year. Usually at the beginning of the school year, I'm doing all like digital citizenship and safe usage of computers and things like that. That's like my first month or so of, of technology. Um, but um, this year was totally different because we started completely digital and the kids needed to know how to use the programs to be successful at, at virtual school. So this is like so, an accelerated, oh, in, in yeah. COVID times, you're basically teaching accelerated technology with all of your normal curriculum, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, well, it was almost like, all right, let's just take this normal curriculum that we do and put it on hold for right now. And sure. let's do what we have to do for these kids. Mm -hmm. So it was something as simple as, let's learn how to send a chat message to your teachers. So we go into the program, we find the chat function, we look and see where's the little button that says new. All right, how do we type in the teacher's name to find the right, you know, account to send it to and everything like that. And then writing the actual message and me saying to them, listen, I'm a teacher. I want to know that you can learn. So what's a way that you can show me that, that you know things and have learned and stuff like that? And they're like, well, I don't know. I'm like, write me a complete sentence. Like, you've learned how to write a complete sentence, right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, yeah. I'm like, okay, so prove to me that you've learned that by writing in a complete sentence to me. Like, I'm a teacher. Write in a complete sentence. And I keep trying to tell them, like, you're going to need to know how to write in complete sentences and get into that habit for your futures. Right. And it's, See, they don't like it. Now, look, I, I have empathy for people that actually have like learning disorders and stuff like that, or get anxiety attacks and all that stuff. But like the concept of being a bad test taker or something like that has always blown my mind. It's like, oh, you're bad at that part where we figure out what you know. Yeah. Like maybe you just don't know it. Now, right? like now time out because I'm, I actually am one of those people, Okay. but, but, and it's, and it's, it's to me at least like, I'm bad at regurgitating information when mm -hmm. I'm forced to answer a question about it on a piece of paper, but I mm -hmm. guarantee you I can teach I can reteach somebody else what I've learned way better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
See, and, and and this is my problem. All of my detriments in school were just out of like sheer laziness of me, right? Right. Like I I can out lazy anybody. Like it's just a fact. And and going through, I remember, and I probably, mom, I'm sorry. I remember in fifth grade we were taking the standardized <laughs> tests, and I was halfway through the standardized test, and I just didn't want to do it anymore. So I just picked random bubbles and filled it out, and it was just done with it and and the teachers knew when i stopped trying because i mm -hmm. i was at i was in like 90 percent correct for the first like 50 questions and then it was like three percent correct for the for the last 50 or four percent whatever like mm -hmm. and, and that was my biggest downfall so yeah. it, it, it's not that i was a bad test taker it's not that i was stupid i just didn't want to do it half the time yeah and and, and i can't imagine in this virtual slash zoom environment how would i have survived like how would i have done in these classes where i'm not looking over at the 20 people in my class and seeing them doing it and be oh they're doing it i'll do it too i'm looking over and seeing my television my xbox my nintendo switch like mm -hmm. whatever it is my leg factor is real <laughs> and, and I, I wouldn't have done it. i i've never been diagnosed add or adhd or something like that but that, it had to be something because any excuse for me to stare out the window and not think about what was right in front of me that happened to me constantly it happens to me during this podcast like you you and carla went off on your little geography spiel Okay, that's and true. I, I zoned out. You like, were I'm, playing rock paper scissors with yourself. Yeah, like, <laughs> and uh, I'm older and can can like can control it a little bit better now. But at the time, when I was in fifth grade, whatever it was, I had no chance. So I guess I guess where I'm trying to go with this is Carla, with this with with how reliant, especially the state of New Jersey, has come with standardized testing to to move students along right like it's all about the test you, you spend the first six months of your school year getting them ready for what was in my age the hespa and and whatever it's not that anymore i understand mm -hmm. but are you guys still held to those same strict standards through virtual are students are the students going to be the ones that take the brunt of it if they don't pass like so um so like at the end of the, the 1920 school year, they actually waived the requirement to take the state test because nobody was in school during the time period in which the test would have taken place. Um, so for the last school year, they kind of just were like, listen, unprecedented times, you're all off the hook, don't worry about it. But um, as far as this school year, they are preparing to have the tests this spring. So yeah, I mean, we're still gonna be held to that standard. And, and those tests are tied into um, teacher evaluations now in the state of New Jersey. They, they weigh, I think it's like 30%. So it's not necessarily a make it or break it thing as long as you get good evaluations and, and things like that on all of the other markers. Um, but if you struggle with any of your other evaluation um, markers then then it could be a, a negative thing for you so and i know in, in bridgeton um they take evaluations pretty seriously um i know in some schools like it's almost like whatever the highest number is in any particular school in, in new jersey it's four they'll get fours all the way down they're like yeah you're doing a great job fours all the way down keep doing what you're doing 
in Bridgeton, they really do look at each individual item and really rank you on where you are. Like if you did, if you didn't ask questions well enough, you score poorly on the questions portion of your evaluation. Whereas they're not just looking at your whole lesson saying, oh yeah, it was a great lesson, fours all the way down. They're really looking at each individual thing. So I've had some evaluations where, you know, my number is a little bit lower than even I'm thinking it should be because they're like, well, I didn't hear you ask this particular style of question. I'm like, you're right, I didn't. It wasn't in this lesson. And my argument is if I didn't do it, then I really shouldn't be scored on it unless it was an absolute, like, you never took attendance. I mean, not that that's a scorable factor, but like something that's really totally obvious that you have to do in every class. I feel like you can't fit everything into every class. Mm -hmm. So, do you think evaluations or whatever would be better served if they were, let's just say, a week long instead of one period or whatever? I know, I know, <laughs> you think, oh my gosh, but that—that's how you get. You know, maybe you don't ask that question on Monday, but maybe on Wednesday, with what you're teaching that day, that particular style of question comes up. Exactly. In in that aspect, yes, because you you just literally cannot fit all the things that they're trying to evaluate you into a single lesson. You can't, in, in a 40 minute period, it's almost impossible to have a digital aspect, a group work aspect, a questioning aspect, an opening and a closing ticket kind of thing, a pre and a post activity, and then like the bulk of the actual instruction and, and, and individual work and stuff like that. Like it just well, at maybe- that, at, at that point, it almost becomes more about you trying to hit a quota than you exactly. trying to accurately teach your kids. Yeah. Like yeah. you don't you like you probably physically can't have a meaningful lesson that's impactful that mm -hmm. they're going to take away and like mm -hmm. you know kill their homework or whatever you're giving them with and mm -hmm. still hit that quota. Like that's that's unreasonable to me. But yeah. I'm I'm on the outside looking in. Yeah, but I I know teachers who when they know they're having an evaluation will try to hit all those things in a single lesson. I'll usually pick like one or two and I'll be like okay I know I'm getting evaluated I know I want to put these aspects into my lesson specifically because of the evaluation not that I normally wouldn't have done them throughout the week anyway but like I know okay this day I'm going to put these two things in but I do know teachers who consciously try to do five or six different things in a single lesson because they know they're being evaluated and it's just it's crazy so that's that's kind of my next question is do you know when you're getting evaluated or is it like a surprise, okay. like they drop in and it's like, all right, it's game time, figure it yes. out. So um, so it depends on where you are in your educational career. Um, so before okay. you achieve what's called tenure, um, you get, I think it's three or four evaluations a year. And their, mm -hmm. their reasoning behind that is the more times they get in there and they evaluate you, the better picture they're gonna get of how you are as a teacher. Okay. Um, Two of those are announced observations, meaning you actually sit down with the person who's going to come in and observe you before the observation. You kind of explain what your lesson is and how it's going to work to mm -hmm. them. You talk through it basically just to so that they can give you little pieces of advice or at least know what they should be looking for in the lesson. Yeah. And you know what they expect. Um, then the observation occurs and then there's a whole post-observation meeting and paperwork and stuff that has to be done as well. Um, so that's if you're non-tenured. It's it's three or four. I, I don't even remember. Honestly, it's terrible. Um, but uh, 
once you're tenured, then it becomes two observations a year. And one of them is announced and one of them is unannounced. Okay. So that's where I am now. So I have one announced and one unannounced um, observation every year. Gotcha. And our announced observations are usually at the beginning of the year and then our unannounced are usually at the end or mid-year, really, because by the end it should all be wrapped up. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you, you get but a little bit of a... It's different too. Like right. ours are, are very rigid and scheduled. Like I almost know guaranteed I'm going to have my announced observation in October or the first week in November. It's just like done deal. My unannounced observation is going to be at the end of January, early February. Like I just know it. Um, my mom's school, she's had observations literally the last week of school. So it really just depends on the district you're in and the people who are observing you and things like that. So that like whole thing blows my mind and it goes kind of back to an earlier point that you mentioned where you were interviewing for the job initially however many years ago in like, what'd you say, July or something like that? Yeah. And it, it, it kind of blows my mind that it was waiting that late to, to confirm the position that you were gonna be in because like, you know, when Kim was teaching in Oklahoma, you had to sign a letter of intent whether or not you were coming back kind of like you just mentioned you had to sign that letter of intent in like february or march mm -hmm. and if you mm -hmm. did not sign your letter of intent or if you were not offered a letter to come back you you were not going back to that school the next year unless it was like a last minute necessary thing or you had to go find another job and and you had to start interviews and, and start looking at things. So like when Kim transitioned from uh, her first school Eisenhower to the second school, um, which was you know, I'm forgetting the name right now. She's on the other side of the wall of me, and I I'm just not really gonna remember it right now. But when she went to her second school, um, she she like had to say, hey, I'm not gonna come back next year. But then if she didn't get a job, she didn't have a job, or she would have to like try and find a last minute position. So like. Mm -hmm. That's all, all of that kind of like rushing process is just like, it's, it's all very interesting to me that, you know, like they're making decisions kind of like that. And it's such in short time when out here, yeah. it's, it's kind of a different ball game in a weird sometimes, way. Sometimes you do have that notice. Sometimes they do set, sign those letters of intent and things mm -hmm. like that. And you know, a position is going to be vacant. My position was actually a created position. There okay. There, my position didn't exist before I was hired for it. Basically. Okay. Um, there was a guy in the school who was really the tech guy as far as like fixing computers and systems in the school and stuff like that. And he was teaching the technology classes prior to me being hired. And they basically split his job into two, hired me to do the teaching part and let him just worry about the tech part. Um, so my school year, um, the reason they were interviewing in July is because of the fiscal year. So they needed to wait until July 1 when the new year technically starts gotcha. for the next school year to, to do the interview process because they needed to see whether or not they were going to have the funding available to hire a teacher. Makes sense. Um, yeah. And, but then there's also situations where um, if somebody is seeking to leave a district, they might sign the letter of intent to say, yes, I'm going to come back because they know they need a job to pay their mortgage or, or whatever. Right but they go on an interview with another district in June or July. They're offered a position with the other district. And now in June or July, they're alerting their school. Hey, I know I signed my letter of intent to say that I was coming back, but I am now resigning. Now, a letter of resignation typically requires 60 days. 
So if they do it early June or, or late June, early July, that might not get into the next school year, even though now that school has to scramble and find a replacement. Uh-huh. But other times what will actually happen is if, if it's late enough in July that it would go into September, they can actually hold you. And then you'd have to start the school year with your old district and then transfer to your new district after that 60 days. So sometimes yeah. that's what happens w- with uh, late hires and things like that. Yeah, I can I can see I can see where that would get like a little dicey and and, yeah. and stuff like that. It's just it's it, it's very interesting how a lot and I know that it you know you guys are in New Jersey like we're out here in Texas and, and you know previously in Oklahoma so like it, there it's a lot of different things competing schools of thought if you will yeah. that that kind of go into it. But it, it's it's all very interesting to me just because of how it's structured and how it's set up and everything mm-hmm. like that. Now. Um, Last question, because I know uh, I know you have a list, and I I, I want to get to that list. You are now we're going to get no, to this list. We're going that, to the list. That's fine. However, I just I, I really I have to say this though because I only talked about typing as far as what I actually teach in technology. And that's you had asked me what I teach in technology. Yeah, no, that's and that, that's what I was going to say. Is I was like I want to hear went, about we, these we other went things. Down the rabbit hole, as we typically do. We do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So talk about what else you do as the technology teacher at your school, Carla. Okay. All right. So um, some other things that I do is I do a a very basic um, instruction on Microsoft Office Suite. Um, So use of Word and Excel and PowerPoint. Like a lot of our projects occur in in that suite. that's the so only, they're am, the only three that actually count in the Microsoft Office suite. Nobody ever used Microsoft Office has like 14,000 apps, but as long as you know the yeah. big three, you're good. Yeah. No, when I first got there, what was the program that was on Outlook? my curriculum to teach? No, it wasn't Outlook. It was the, the database one. Uh, Power BI? No, it wasn't Power BI. Or like, it wasn't anything it with like SQL or anything crazy like that. No, I'm not going to remember what it's called, but it was... Um, it was a program that I had never even used before in my life. I had to teach myself how to use it before I could teach the kids. Just scrambling. T- trying to teach them why they would ever want to use this database um, program in eighth grade was like so disconnected from their lives that I just could never understand why it was in the eighth grade curriculum to teach it. But anyway, I teach a little bit of that. Um, we do coding. Was it so... called Microsoft Access? Yes, Access. Oh, That's yeah. Google. Okay. Yep. Google yep. takes care of everything. Google wins every time. Um, so yeah, I had to teach Access my first like two years of technology, and then they took it out of the curriculum, and I was like, yes. Um, but so I do coding. Um, code.org, the Hour of Code, is a big initiative in December that you probably don't know too much about unless you are in mm-hmm. um, education and coding and things like that. But uh, we do that every year. Um, it's it's basic. It's block coding for yep. most. Um, I do one thing with my eighth graders after I've had them doing block coding for two years already. I put them on a website called uh, Code Combat where mm-hmm. they actually write real code in javascript or python or, or whatever it is and um and that's kind of a cool program that uh, my eighth graders really do like because they're sick of block coding by the time they get to eighth grade so that just steps it up that one little step where they're actually writing out the the actual commands and they like that um and then i actually do 3d printing with my seventh graders so nice yeah, yeah. 
I, I actually bought a 3D printer. I own a 3D printer. It's here at my house. I'm actually uh, playing with one of my little things that I've 3D printed in my hands here. Um, but uh, It's a puzzle. It is. It's it's a little puzzle container. So it's... it's um, I've seen those before, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you guys can see it on if you're watching on Twitch, but it's just this little puzzle that you can do. Um, but that that's awesome. I love doing that. So I, I take my kids onto a program called Tinkercad um, mm -hmm. where I have them design basically like an animal to begin with, just for something fun and light for them to do, to learn how to use the program. But then um, we get into a design um, aspect because Technology isn't just teaching the computer. It's also a lot of um, engineering concepts. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I have to teach is problem solving for an existing item. Like basically you need to prototype how to improve something to solve a problem. And uh, one, of the pro one of the problems that they came up with was um, damage from natural disasters for whatever reason. So I teach the seventh graders about natural disasters. We do online research about natural disasters. They um, put together a PowerPoint about natural disasters. And then we get into talking about how natural disasters damage homes and how can we improve homes to avoid the damage from natural disasters. So the challenge that I then give my kids is to design a home on Tinkercad that has some kind of extra little thing that they've added to it that's going to help prevent damage from natural disasters. Has anybody came up, come up with the balloon idea from up to where if there's an earthquake that's going to hit your house, you just inflate <laughs> a bunch of balloons, you pick your house up, earthquake happens, you pop a couple of the balloons, house comes back down, good as new. Yeah, no, nobody's come up with that. I have had kids, though, that have come up with, like, the the put a big glass bubble around the entire house kind of thing. Like that doesn't help an earthquake though. To avoid damage from a tsunami or a flood. Like they only have to pick one natural disaster to okay, protect okay. against. They don't have to try to protect against all the natural that's disasters. A, that's what I was going to think. And I was like, what do I do to protect against literally every yeah, natural everything. disaster? You, you, you can't do that. No. Would you have passed me if I come up with the balloon idea from up? Yeah, I would have because Trust. at least you came up with something i mean <laughs> is travis smarter than a seventh grader yeah. confirmed no <laughs> okay so wait a minute wait, wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute real quick you guys want to see how good i am at transitions sure go ahead okay so carla uh -huh. the jersey surf drum and bugle corps okay when i put those words together what's uh -huh. like when's the first time you heard those words oh man i was That's a, a good junior question. Uh, yeah, I was a junior in high school. Um, it was probably late October or early November. And uh, a good friend of mine that was in the marching band with me at uh, Cumberland Regional said, um, hey, I'm thinking about going and auditioning for this uh, German Bugle Corps. Would you like to go and do it with me? I think you'd really enjoy it. And um, I was like, well, tell me more, you know? So she pulls up a couple videos on her computer and she shows them to me and I'm like, wow, this is amazing. I love it. Um, but I, I'm not noticing any flutes, like, um, cause I was, I was a flautist when I was back in high school. Um, so I was a little confused about where I might fit into that picture. And she's like, well, you could do something else. Like you could be in the pit, you know how to play the piano. So you could probably very easily pick up, you know, playing the marimba or whatever. Um, <laughs> 
you, you know, that's an easy instrument. Yeah, you could possibly do color guard, you know, learn how to spin a flag and do color guard and all that kinds of stuff. Uh, yeah, I don't think I ever would have been coordinated enough for all that, though. Um, or I'll teach you how to play the trumpet. She was the trumpet player. Um, so I was like, well, okay. I mean, since you're getting me into this, I guess I'll go with option three and you're going to teach me how to play the trumpet. So uh, she diligently taught me how to play a C scale on the trumpet. That, that was the that, that was it. of the lesson. <laughs> so I walked into my very first camp at the Jersey Surf German Bugle Corps and I knew how to play a C scale <laughs> on the trumpet. Nailed it. Absolutely yeah. nailed and, it. And hitting the the middle C at the time was was sometimes a bit of a stretch. <laughs> We've all been well, there, right? Yeah. I mean, Travis had to learn the tuba. Yeah. Well, no. to be to be fair, it's not really hard to hit notes on the tuba. That's fair. <laughs> Your it's lips my... are literally going like this inside that mouth. <laughs> My whole um, my whole like theory behind it was if they if they started to try to ask me questions about how well I could play the trumpet or anything, I was gonna kind of pretend I didn't speak English and just be like, I play C scale. <laughs> Hello, my name's Jeff. <laughs> like, like that was legit. I was like, okay, this is my plan. Not that I was gonna do it, but you know, as a joke, it was like I'm just gonna pretend I don't speak English and say I play C scale, C scale. <laughs> Just yeah. over and over and over. That no sharps. Initial no flats. <laughs> but luckily, EFG, ABC. Yeah, we had amazing instructors at Surf who were like, "Oh, so you're a flute player? You'll pick this up. You know how to read music. You you've got at least the basics of you knowing the C scale. You're gonna be fine. We'll work with you." And they did. And uh, yeah, six years later, I. Wasn't, out. wasn't there like a minute or two where you were gonna audition for the simple line? Uh, there was. A thought of that, but it, it was never. Really I would have loved that because that was the O three symbol line with with Peggy. And I Steph never would have made that symbol line. Never, no. ever. That symbol line was fantastic. Were, that's, that symbol line was legendary because even only, I heard of that when I went to my first camp. The only one that I really talk about or talk to anymore is Melissa McGoldrick because she taught Crossman the year I taught Crossman. Okay. So we like reconnected and the last time she saw me I was 13 <laughs> and you know whatever <laughs> but and then um, Peggy Peggy just had a kid. Yeah. She just had a kid so congratulations yeah. to the Jersey Surf symbol chick Peggy and uh, yes. hi Melissa. Yeah. So, yeah it's they were they were amazing. They were the symbol line that made Jill want to be a symbol player. So Jill in um, 04 and 05 actually tried out both years for yep. the symbol line um, because of the girls on that that symbol line in 03. And uh, she did not make the symbol line, but she was able to uh, play mellophone. The brass, yeah. Mm -hmm. so. Um, so when so you're playing an instrument that you don't play. You're yep. in. You go from a group one teeny tiny little marching band in South Jersey to uh, we were group two at the time. Oh, excuse me, group two. This is pre Phil. Um, whatever. <laughs> um, Chris, help me out. You, you, you go. I, I stopped streaming so nobody else can see this. You go from group two marching band to a hundred and thirty five member organization at the time. It was before mm -hmm. they bumped up mm -hmm. to one thing. Yep. Yep. And like. When was the moment where you're like, A, okay, this is awesome. Like, this is 
what I'm going to spend the next, what, eight summers of my life doing, seven summers of your life doing. And what was the moment you were like, okay, I got this. Like, who? Okay. <laughs> um, so in subsequent years, I realized how much winter camp sucked. Um, however, the first year, everything's new. Everything's exciting. Every time you hit a chord with, with that brass line, you're like, oh, this is amazing. We're going to win world championships. Um, <laughs> Everybody's playing the right note. Yeah. And, and, and the conductor goes like this, and everybody stops at the same time, except that one obnoxious first trumpet player. Anyway. Um, Don't they stop the <laughs> Yeah. Dante Estavictor, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, the first year, you're just, you're all about it. I was practicing my butt off trying to learn how to play these uh, parts on um, on the trumpet. It was a great show. It was a fun show. We did uh, Under the Boardwalk and uh, Surfer Girl and, yeah, that was down the shore with the Jersey Surf. I mean, it was school's out for summer. School's out for summer. How could you not love that? Song? Iconic. Um, yeah. So the first year I was I, I was busting my butt, but I was all about it. It was just everything I did was amazing. I can remember coming home, we were learning drill in like March or April and being like, it's so easy. And I think I was having the conversation with dad at the time. He's like, what do you mean? I said, it's easy to learn your drill because everybody around you knows what they're doing and is good at it too. Like when you had to learn drill at Cumberland Regional High School and you had three people around you who like start off heading in the wrong directions, like that's hard for you then to know which direction you're supposed to be going in. But when you get into one of these drum corps situations where you're marching with the top 5% from every local marching band, um, they all they all know what they're doing. They're paying attention. They're they're engaged with what they're doing. So yep. you don't have kids that start wandering off in the wrong direction in the middle of a, a a sequence. So I remember saying that to dad. I said it's it's so easy. I love it. Um, so that was one of the first moments where I was like, yeah, this is my thing. Um, besides just loving being a part of it, you know, because I was band geek from the get go. Um, but it probably wasn't really until 06 that I felt comfortable playing the horn. Until 06. So mm -hmm. three seasons. Three full mm -hmm. seasons later. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And then, of course, And then they switch you to second trumpet. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so it's, it's death camp. We are up in Stroudsburg. Actually, it was right before we left for Stroudsburg, but it was the Friday night before we left for Stroudsburg. So we all show up at the Bokey. We rehearsed at the Bokey Friday night. And then Saturday morning or even Friday night, maybe we, we trucked up there to Stroudsburg. And they had pulled me aside and they'd said, hey, uh, you're doing a really awesome job. Actually, you're doing so awesome that we want to bump you from third trumpet to second trumpet because somebody had quit or, or something from the second trumpets and it was, it was unbalanced. Mm -hmm. And they were like, we know you can handle this. And I'm like, mm, I'm not so sure. Like, I'm just getting good at, at third trumpet. I mean, <laughs> but I like the notes down there. <laughs> yeah, I had spent three years on third trumpet, was quite comfortable there. And the thing that really kind of blew my mind going from third trumpet to second trumpet was that I had to go all the way up to like A and B above the staff. And that for me was, was 
tough. I never played notes above the staff, basically. I think the highest the third trumpets ever went was the G above the staff. Mm -hmm. So then going, you know, up those thirds above that, to me, was a challenge. Um, so there were a couple of days where I was besides myself trying to learn the second trumpet music. And I actually kind of thought to myself, like, I thought I was getting good at this. And now I, I'm not so sure again. So, so let me ask a, a little question here. Yeah. I, I'm a tuba player. Okay. Yep. We play octaves and we mm -hmm. play root notes. Okay. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of color going on in a tuba section is a hard part of playing second trumpet is that you're playing colorful notes a lot like you're not just playing the root of the chord you're either playing the fifth you're playing the third you're making it a minor chord you know what whatever it is like is that a difficulty because that changes your ears completely then too yeah but i would say not compared to like it wasn't any harder than playing third trumpet First trumpet, yeah, you're playing the melody basically the whole time. So maybe going mm -hmm. from first trumpet to second trumpet or third trumpet, it might have been difficult, but it wasn't difficult going from third to second. Like, it wasn't any different, really. Okay. Um, if anything, yeah. you're just playing, like, a different range of yeah. notes and different yeah. pieces of the whole chord, mm -hmm. but you're yeah, not, yeah. like... The only thing I would say maybe that was a little more difficult for second was sometimes the seconds would do like a, a third below the firsts in a run or something like that. Whereas the third trumpet part might have had quarter notes or, or whole notes or something underneath of it. Um, so that was an adjustment to me was actually having faster runs and, and yeah, really the dexterity. To get the fingers going. Mm -hmm. Um, that I was not used to having at, at the third part. So that was probably the hardest. I wish I knew what you were talking about. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah. Basically there was more there were more black <laughs> there were more black dots on the page, Travis. And yeah. and okay. when you went from third to second, you got more black dots. I'm, yeah. I'm a, That's what I'm she's gonna, saying. I'm going to no pun intended toot my own horn a little bit here. <laughs> Two thousand five, okay, it's finals week. And the tubas had a like two measure feature in the opener of the show where we played eighth notes. Okay, we Ooh. played eighth notes. That's and big we're news. The, we're in the arc finals week, and um, I, I I don't remember who it was that was coming down the line, but the, the people were going down the trumpet line and like cutting people off of parts, going down the mellow line, the tuba line, and the baritone line. Right. Well, this one section was like, I'm still playing it. I'm such a nerd, but, um, and there was 10 tubas that year and three of the tubas stayed on the part. Okay. Wow. And I was one of them. And this is the first year I ever picked up the horn. Like I had never played a brass instrument before in my life. And it was like, I think it was Jason Schickle, myself, and then Brian Lagasse were the only three that stayed on this part. And like in the drill, the tubers are actually like up front. We stand still while we play it. There's like a color guard person next to us. Like it was a big deal. Yeah, it, it, was, it, was, it was a big deal. And I was one of them. And Rick Wygant, who was the composer and uh he was there finals week he was the one who after it was all said and done brought the whole horn line up together and he actually looked at me and said you know it, it's really great that i'm really happy to see you with your horns up because they had everybody who didn't make it keep their horns down as like uh, yeah as like eh, everybody knows you just got cut off this part 
And it, it was just the three of us. And we played it, and it sounded like it should for the first time all season. But um, it, that was pretty cool. And, like, having those eighth-note runs and, and stuff like that, like, I understand. Like, it definitely takes – dexterity and when you're used to just going like this all day when you start going like this like it, it definitely gets way more complicated yeah. but th the other thing that really helped me in 06 was that was the point where so my first two years at Rowan 04 or yeah 04 and 05 um I had been playing my flute and had been involved with the music minor I was still trying to do the music minor even though I had been forced to pick that other uh, secondary um, and I quit that. I was like, you know what? It's just too much. There, music minors required you to do so many little things. You had to be in the flute ensemble. You had to take flute lessons. You have to take these little half credit classes and everything. Like I was busting my butt and I was just like, you know what? Not worth it. I, yeah, I can't do it anymore. But what that freed me up to do was join the concert band on trumpet. Um, because ah. prior to that, they had said if I was going to join an ensemble, I had to play my flute. So I was in the concert band playing my trumpet, and that helped me a lot because I wasn't just playing the 12 minutes of drum corps music. I was actually learning how to play the instrument as an instrument versus yeah. I, I need to be able to play this specific 12 minutes of music and nothing else. That makes See, that's sense. A, that that's something that I never got. Yep. That's something that I never got because I, I mean, I played what seven years worth of tuba, mm -hmm. so 12 minutes each. I have X amount of minutes. I'm not doing math live. I have X amount of minutes of tuba playing repertoire, and that's it. Like, I, I, I don't consider myself a tuba player, and I did it for seven summers of my life. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I, I could pick it up and make noise and like run through a couple scales and stuff like that because I'm just a, a geek when it comes to music, but like. Chris, you could pick up your trumpet right now, and I think you're a competent trumpet player, maybe not having played it for a while. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't have that. And Carla, it's been so long since you played trumpet, I don't know how confident you would be. I'm not trying to speak for you. Yeah. But definitely playing it outside of, you know, all right, guys, set up D to E. You know what I mean? Like playing it outside of that, having a reason to practice other stuff. You know, you, you learn different um, – attacks and stuff like that and with legato and staccato and, and marcato and like all this these different ways of playing the horn yeah it, it's even just keeping my chops up because usually what would happen for me is especially since the drum corps owned my horn i would play until august 10th or whatever it was and then i wouldn't pick up a horn again until november 24th when i went back to camp uh for the the first year or the first camp of the year and then especially some of those early camps, they wouldn't let you take the horns home right away. It was usually like January or February before they let you actually start taking the horns home. You had to like solidify so, your spot before they'd let you borrow yeah, an instrument. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah exactly. So I, basically until like January, February, I would play once a month and that would be it. So it, would, it had been then six months that I basically hadn't played my trumpet much. So um, I borrowed a trumpet from my uncle when I was playing in the, in the ensemble at Rowan there and, uh, you know, playing from September to December in that concert band really helped me uh, with lip strength and, and, and such to be able to feel like I was really getting good at the instrument. It was all very interesting, you know, with the music, the type of music education that we got, you know, in our school systems in Southern New Jersey. And it was such a culture shock for me coming out to Oklahoma to be like, even after marching up at that point, four summers of drum corps 
and then coming out to Oklahoma and joining that marching band and the music program and all that sort of stuff. Even that was a culture shock for me. So like Travis, you just talked about, you know, being able to pick up a tuba and make a sound and like, yeah, sure. I'm probably a competent enough trumpet player to like pick up, pick up my horn still. I haven't played my horn in over a year and like a half, give or take. I'd be able to pick up my horn and make a noise and, and probably play like some old stand tunes or, or whatever and, and be fine with it. But I never did any sort of like actual music education or ensemble or like deep studying as a trumpet player. Like yeah. I was basically, th th I literally like the same type of player that Travis, that you were for drum corps. Like I was just a marching player. I never really, we never really studied scales at, at regional. Nope. And like you, you knew kind of your basic scales every now and again, but it was like, you know, you couldn't call out a scale and me immediately like pick it up and play it. If it wasn't like C F or G or whatever, like the three basic ones were, but you know, I, I don't, I don't necessarily blame Phil for that though. No. And I don't either. I'm yeah, not saying that I do. He such a, He had such a small ensemble mm -hmm. that he needed to perform and he exactly. needed shows to be good. He needed us to be competitive. Otherwise the school board or whatever is literally going to think about mm -hmm. cutting off these things. It was... Whereas if you think of the school that Evan Barry teaches at now, he probably like his marching band's huge. He probably has multiple concert or most of them are like two or three ensembles. Yeah. Right. Where in the lower levels, they can work on stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like you, you can spend time. All right, guys, let's work on this a flat scale, right? Like, yeah. And, and that's the thing. It was just like, you know, you go to Oklahoma and, and instantly I'm surrounded by those kids. Yep. So I not only have to fight for a spot, music like i have to fight fight for a spot visually like i'm scored visually and, and luckily i had a good teacher carla thank you um i had i have to fight for a spot visually you know like show that yeah i can hold up my horn and i have a good posture and i can march around a field and i, I know how to do like a friggin box drill but i have to prove myself playing scales so the the first year that i auditioned for it was 2009 travis you and i were still marching surf and i i was working on like my my etude and and all of my music and and scales and all that sort of stuff on the side because i was like i, I didn't work on this stuff in, in high school because we were never required to know it because we were too busy learning x number of sheets of music and perfecting that like yep. like theory and 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 all the technicality and all that stuff didn't happen it just it just didn't i mean i mean think of even in just the concept of a drum corps summer think of all of the hours you spend rehearsing mm -hmm. hundreds if not thousands of hours in rehearsal for 12 minutes of music yep in a concert ensemble that's that's insanity like can you can you imagine if we had the rehearsal time for the Cumberland Regional High School concert band that we did for drum corps you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. you would learn so much music, right? You'd get this song. All right, we got it. Let's get, learn another piece. Let's learn another piece. And I think that's, for my money, what was always so fascinating about drum corps. I watched the show that I won a world championship with, and I'm, like, it's dirty. Like, we have a box rotation at one point that, I, that drives me insane. I can't look at it. Not because of, you know, the, the nine minutes of perfection leading up to it or whatever. Not the perfection's a hard word or a, a it's a hard too, level to achieve. Big, yeah, yeah, too big of a word. But yeah, excellence. Thank you. But I look at that box rotation. I'm like, did, like, yeah, we, did we really do that? Right. Yeah. Like, did we put that on tape? Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's with the things that, that I enjoy, they all have that in common. Like perfection isn't achievable. 
mm-hmm. in, in the video games that I play, in the the activities that I str- that I do. Perfection is not achievable. So you can always push yourself to more. And, 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 and that was always the drawback of drum corps to me. And, and I loved rehearsal. I don't think you can do this stupid activity unless you enjoyed rehearsal. Yeah. Because if you if all you like is the shows, you enjoy 12 minutes of your day. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You, yeah. you, you, you hate riding on the bus. You hate EPL. You hate rehearsal. You hate sleeping on a gym floor. Whatever. If you just enjoy the show, you have, you have 12 good minutes of your day. I hate all that stuff. <laughs> I loved it all. I loved all of it. No, it was it was good yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah, it was it was good stuff. But you know, just like thinking about kind of the musical side of everything, like even all three of us, really, like all three of us, you know, we were all built for the marching arts portion of that that music has, right? Yep. And and I did a couple, like like in Oklahoma, I did like the basketball band, pep bands, and it was just like, okay, you have to know a couple pep tunes and charts. You don't have to learn all this like comp- crazy complicated and music. And you can also and, like have your music in front of you. Yeah, right? and and you could totally like, I mean. <laughs> You know, Hayden, if he's listening to to this recording, he would remember like our our final year at Oklahoma when we were in in basketball band, we screwed around all the time. Like you were nobody cared and no one cared. You were taking things up three octaves. You were adding in your own runs. Hell, I played I played the trombone parts sometimes just for extra <laughs> color. Like you just didn't care, and it was like that environment was just so much more fun. But like, had I tried to go and 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 try out for the super serious like like jazz ensemble or try to do like a wind symphony or something like, no way, no way. I did not have the education nor the time and patience to try and put myself through that. Put me on a marching field, I'm good. And I think I, all three of us I are the same this. way. We yeah, can we can crank that shit out all day. But you want to put me in a concert ensemble and be like, okay, we're uh we're on seven flats and thirteen and a half sharps. Good luck. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. No. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I though I have to say I took piano lessons um, as a child. I took them from seven to fourteen. And so a lot of that, like I had to learn my scales and I had to learn my uh, my progressions of chords and things like that. So I, I know a lot of that. Um, and the other thing is a couple of years ago, I was, I was missing music in my life. So I'm actually in a wind symphony now. <laughs> so I do all of that. <laughs> so you've kind of gone backwards. You've, yeah. you've done it the opposite way. <laughs> I have, I have, yeah. So I'm, and I love it though, I, because it just it gets me out of the house once a week. I get to go to rehearsal and I get to go play my flute. And I went back to the flute. Um, That's okay. So uh, yeah, you we know, we I, forgive I you. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. But I love it. And I mean, I know Travis is playing his sax again in in the band that he's in and stuff like that. So I, I hope at some point you you get back into playing your trumpet because there is nothing like music in your life. I, I I will say that one of the one of the big things that I do miss is is kind of performing in a weird way and like getting a chance to play and, and play around people that like also know what they're doing kind of like to your point earlier where it's just easy like I'm yeah. sure I'm sure that you pick back up your flute and there were a couple times where you were like shit I don't know where I put my hands but yeah. you, you get back into the groove and then you realize everybody around you is in the same boat and it's like we can all do this together and and you, you don't have to worry about the people next to you so carla has asked me a couple times to rejoin this wind symphony right and 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 i i've thought about it each and every time and what the hurdle is for me is i haven't read music since i was 21 
Like it's been almost a decade that I have not read music. And you know, you put it in front of me, I need to like really think, think about, about it, it to yeah. figure it out. Whereas at one point in my life, it was like reading words, you know what I mean? Like it, mm -hmm. you just flow right through a piece. Mm -hmm. Hey, but I can tell you the first year I joined this wind symphony and when I wrote the email to the guy like, hey, are you looking for a flute player? He's like, come on out, give it a try. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna warn you. I have not played my flute in probably 12 years like I, I used to be good at it but mm -hmm. you know it's it's I'm, I'm gonna be rough for the first bit he's like we're here for fun basically come on out if it doesn't work out no harm no foul so I went out there and I loved it I really did but there were numbers that first year like we did a Christmas concert so I had joined at like the end of September is when they really started uh um rehearsals and there were there was one number we did uh, I think it was sleigh bell or something like or sleigh ride or something mm -hmm. like that. So it's really fast. It's it's crazy. It was up in the upper octave and stuff like that. I pretended to play it because I focused on the other songs that were more achievable for me. And I did not play that one on the concert stage. So, I so held my flute up and I looked like I was playing. But I did not play that song. So now that you have been doing this for, you know, four or five years, it's a Christmas concert. Those songs yep. all come back around again. Yep. yep. Are you really hoping for it to come back around again? So you can... I, it, it actually already has. Yeah, okay. it actually already has. And there were still a couple parts of it that, like, I, I don't know what it is, but the, flutes sometimes, they, they get you up in the octave way above the scale like not even the octave above the scale like the extra one up up even further like three or four lines above oh, the scale no more like five or six lines above the scale and i just can't i i can't do that and so there is a part of that song where it's it's all up there for like a whole line or and a half or something like that and it's like i just i can't yeah that's when you just take your flute and put it on your sand pick up your yeah. <laughs> yeah. and just play it it's perfect yeah yeah I, nobody but, will notice yeah i don't i don't know so there there are still times when it's like yeah i'm just gonna sit this little part out you know mm -hmm. and i could i could sit here six days a week and practice it and, and bust my butt and, and learn it but i'm kind of just at the point in my life where it's like all right you know i i just i'm doing this for fun it's it's a local group that is for fun and if I sit a line out, yeah, like nobody's nobody's gonna cut <laughs> yeah. you from the ensemble, right? Exactly. Like they're just happy you're there. Yeah, they're like you oh, we got we have a body, yeah. hooray! Yeah. Basically, 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 it's uh, it's actually over at Cumberland County College. Well, no, oh, I'm sorry, Rowan College of South Jersey, Cumberland campus. Uh, old, old UCLA, right? Yeah, old UCLA. UCLA. That's, that's what we talked about with uh, with Corey. I remember. Yeah, so it's the most. It's their college ensemble, and we don't have any college students in it i don't think <laughs> all right so then. it's all just community members who are there for fun and you know it's great well there and, you go but it, actually to your point though is like you miss the performance and stuff mm -hmm. i hate performing i hate performing if i could just go to rehearsals i'd be the happiest person ever i i mean i would i'd I would be okay with going to the rehearsals and, and oh. all that sort of stuff. But I, I like, I do enjoy kind of like, like when I was in basketball band or when, when we go back for like alumni band for the pride of Oklahoma, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. being on the field and, or like being in a rehearsal space with all the other people who have also shared that experience, whether with you or a year before or after or whatever, like all of that stuff is, is fun. Um, 
I, I would be okay with like going back to the rehearsals and, and all that jazz too. I, sometimes I miss playing, but then there's other times where I'm like, I'm a little old for this. I just yeah. don't want to pick it up anymore because I feel like every time I, tr I touch my trumpet, my knees just go, stop it! Like, they just scream at me the whole time because they know the hell I put them through uh -huh. for seven years, six years of drum corps and, you know, the extra whatever many years of marching band and shit. Just, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the one thing I, I'm going to say, and this is for me, like, a round of applause is addicting. And that's, yeah. that's something, yep. like, I'm experiencing again with the band that I'm playing in is round of applause and, like, compliments for you know the song you just played or, or the set that you just played or whatever and it's like yeah i did miss that you know i mm -hmm. didn't have that since what i aged out or maybe i guess you could say the year i taught crossman yeah i didn't actually perform but i was invested right yeah so i i i would say that a round of applause is is definitely an addicting thing and i'm I, it feels good to have that again hey chris guess what i did what you did I bought a saxophone. Did you did you buy one finally? I, I bought one this week. You I excited? A, a, a brand new Cannonball tenor saxophone. This thing is gorgeous. It's, yeah. It's like, you excited? It, yeah, it's like a pewter color. They call it black ice all the way down. Ooh. And Carla and I actually went and we played one up at up at the Sam Ash in Cherry Hill. Okay, yeah. And like the horn just sounded really, really great. It was gorgeous. Had, had a nice like low register and, and you know came all the way up, which I'm so excited for it. So it gets here on Wednesday. Excited? Are you gonna play a little bit for us? Maybe make a little clip and we can post it on Twitter for everybody. Yeah. Maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll go back to the Sax Mafia days and bust out a little. Uh, oh my God! A little Mission Impossible. <laughs> Mission Impossible or uh, Sesame Street. Sesame Street. There you go. Oh, that would be so much fun. You, you played in the Sax Mafia once, didn't you? I did. Yeah. Uh, my junior year, I picked up the tenor saxophone for all of three and a half months and <laughs> learned Mission Impossible, how to play, and how to kick a chair. Um, that's We appreciate you. That's that's what we did. Do you remember when we did that, Travis? At um, at, What was that like? Teen music? Arts. Yeah. Yep. We, we had that teen arts festival and it was like this quartet of of saxophone players it was what who was who it was you joey perella it was rich um rich mead rich and me yeah. and the four of us I, I remember like we walked around all of like tcnj that day like randomly playing it and practicing well, it, was downtown it. Millville. it was downtown millville wasn't it yeah, what we so we did went to states too did right? we? okay then, so yeah, states we states, states was at tcnj yeah. then so That's yeah right. oh my god that is right because because i, I re yeah i remember because we were walking around and was just like okay there's a tree there's a kind of a group of people here there's a group of people here let's just play and so we would just like bust out our saxophones and like one of us would set our case out just in case somebody wanted to throw like three pennies <laughs> our way so we could <laughs> buy like a snapple iced tea um but we would we would play, but I remember specifically the judge it like because there was a part where we got judged, right? We got to go in and play for a panel of like music professors from around the state and all this sort of stuff. And here it is, like four little kind of punk ass kids from southern New Jersey kinda, kinda <laughs> just chilling around with saxophones and we're playing Mission Impossible. And we're all sitting down in these white folding chairs. We're in this quiet <laughs> We're in this quiet, <laughs> dimly. There's like, there's like ten people with no, with like 
It's like a dimly lit room with this soft, like, amber lighting and everything like that. And Travis goes to count, or no, Joey Perella went to go count us off, and we're going to get play Mission Impossible. And Travis goes, no, 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 no. This is all rehearsed, by the way. He goes, no, 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 no. Wait. So we all stand up and kick the shit out of our chairs. <laughs> and then Joey counts us off, and we just start playing. And here are these, like, reserved, probably, like, like Manhattan-drinking, mahogany-owning music professors. Probably drink IPAs on the weekends, chilling out. One probably had a monocle. And they're like, what in the hell are these kids doing? <laughs> oh, these kids think they're so cool, and they aren't. We got, we got cheers from everybody out, like, on on TCNJ's so, campus and these like 10 professors are like get these kids out of the state now yeah. so it's a bunch of teenagers right yeah and they say, mm -hmm. you know we're not playing something written by Johan right like <laughs> we're playing the, the Tom Cruise movie theme song and the, like when we played around that tree we had other ensembles like clapping for us right? yeah and that's what it was all about to us and we get in this the, to the to the performing arts center and it's just like oh we don't belong here like <laughs> the security guard got messed up because we shouldn't be here the phrase we don't belong here is the good cap to that whole story because we sure as heck did not actually belong there and like we were the we were like the only music ensemble that was i think like maybe dave saw did like a baritone solo yeah, yeah, or something like that it. but like it was it was dave saw and and the four stooges on saxophone that did mission of oh my gosh kicking that chair was the was the most fun thing i think i've ever done <laughs> do you remember in the millville one like they put us on that little stage that was like six inches off the ground and we had those chairs on stage and we kicked them off the stage we kicked them to vineland dude <laughs> we booted those things we so far and they're still floating away <laughs> teen arts was such a fun experience in high school it was just such a great experience to go and get to hear and see other people performing as well have that mm -hmm. little bit of competition kind of explore the area where it was mm -hmm. going to states was just fantastic i mean you got out of school for two days to do it as Heck well yeah. so that was see, that was amazing and for my money like and, and this is obviously 100% my perception. Like, the people who were trying to be really good, who knew all their scales, who could sight-read like it was their job, that's what, like, all South Jersey and all state ensembles were for, mm -hmm. right? Like, you work really hard on your audition piece, you get chosen, you get to perform with the best players in South Jersey. Mm -hmm. The Teen Arts Festival, go have fun. Yeah, You know what I mean? There's yeah. no cash prize, there's no scholarship. It's just, hey, it's a collection of teenage artists whether it be music whether it be practical art whatever like go have fun and yeah. that's what we did and i had a great time i had a great time i'd do it again tomorrow mm -hmm. i'd have to learn the part but... <laughs> or we'd have to try something a little bit different but kicking a chair again would be kind of no, fun no, we, not gonna lie to you yeah, yeah, definitely definitely would be fun okay so i know we're getting along here and chris is gonna start to cringe when he sees how long the recording is <laughs> we're at an but hour and have, a half but it's totally we, fine we have a list <laughs> Okay, we can we can we yeah, like we, whittle it down and pick like one thing from this list no, okay. so that Chris no, Davis like, doesn't have to edit? The, how many things are on the list? Are you guys gonna let me talk? No, no. Okay, there's four things on the list. Okay, and most of them we've discussed already. 
Okay. So we we didn't plan that, and we've actually yeah. hit most of the things on the list. Yeah, you. Bro, we're getting kind of good at this. You've hit three of the Chris, four. We're becoming interviewers, my dude. Yeah, but Bro. the thing about it is, is like I wanted to talk about things that you guys could all talk about with me. So the things that are on my list are the things we've talked about. So so, so run through the list. Yeah, give us the list real quick. Uh, so technology. Okay. Uh -huh. My three D printer. Hooray. Drum corps marching band. Uh huh. And then the last one is is travel because I could yeah. I could talk about traveling stories, you know, if if I had to. Now you and Chris have never really traveled together, with the exception of drum corps. Yeah. No. Like you and I have obviously we've been New Zealand, which is the trip of my life. Like mm -hmm. you want to go back, please. Sure. <laughs> they don't even have COVID down there. They had a they Damn. had an all black, they had an all blacks game yesterday, which is the the country the national rugby team. Yeah. They had a game yesterday, and the stadium was sold out. No masks, no social distancing, no nothing. Like, it's just done down there. Dang. It's it's very under control. Like, they do still have cases, I think. But at one point, they were down to zero cases in, like, June or something like that. Like, is, they had actually it, eradicated it. It is a mandatory quarantine if you test positive. Yep. Like, you don't get to go back home and pick up some things. Like, they'll send somebody to go get what you want, but you go to this hotel that's paid for by the government, and you stay in this room for two weeks. And that's how they've yeah. taken so care of it. So you're not spreading it. Right. They'll bring you yeah. food. They bring you water. You, anything you want, they're providing. If you want a computer in the room, you put a computer in the room. If you want a piano, you put a piano. But they're not letting you out of that room. Mm -mm. Yep. Which... There's a lot to that. I mean, they get to have sold out sporting events again. So that's that was my last one. Car but, Carla, you know. the, the the one thing I'm going to ask on the way out, we're going to go back to drum corps real quick. Okay, go ahead. What we do is there a favorite moment? Is there a, a a story that you just love? Is there something that maybe we've even touched on the podcast? A story that you wish we would talk about on the podcast? Uh, anything? Single no? single highlight. <laughs> Um, single highlight was, was probably, and I'm going to say 07, even though 07 wasn't my favorite year of drum corps. Um, but there was a moment where, um, we had just gotten our second place, you know, cheat out of, uh, out of what should have been a gold medal. And, um, <laughs> thank you. I, we're, we're all on the, the field and what they did at the time was, you know, they gave the staff the bags, the big plastic bags of um, medals and they would send you out. And usually what happened is the color guard staff would give medals to all the color guards mm -hmm. and, you know, everything like that. Now I was drum major. So Lauren and I had been out on the front line. We'd done our little salute thing, which uh, Chris did with me one time. I remember that. That yeah, was her. That it was, was in, I was in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Yeah, so uh, the, the rest of the corps left, and uh, Chris's parents were going to be bringing me home. And I said to Bob, I said, well, can Chris come out and do retreat with me? He's like, well, sure. sure. <laughs> so in 30 <laughs> seconds, we had to learn how to salute. I screwed the whole thing up once we got on the he field. Did. And we were the— we, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I, if you if you go somebody I think like Rich Kashera or somebody took a video of it and I was I was like a split second behind everything up until here and then she had already done this to put her hand down and I was still here and I was yeah. like ah! <laughs> I had to just like put my hand down really, really quick and everything like that but yeah that was a good that was a good time I remember that yep yep so um so 
they've they're everybody's giving out medals all over the place and lauren got her medal on the front line because they gave it to the head drum major mm -hmm. on the front line but i didn't get one and so i'm kind of walking around the field and congratulating people here and there and stuff like that and watching everybody else get their medals and i don't have a medal and i'm kind of like who who's gonna give me my medal right so donna donna love yes donna, right? gotta love donna she comes running up to me and she's like you don't have a medal who's giving you your medal and for the past couple of years, Gabe, her husband, had always given me my medal because mm -hmm. he was big with the trumpets. And so he would give the, the medal to the trumpets. And so I said to her, I said, Donna, I said, Gabe always gives me my medal. And she says, you stay right here. She runs off. Minute later, there is Gabe Galino giving me my medal. And there's a picture of it somewhere of him yep. putting that medal on my neck. And that, to me, is just one of those moments that is just... A, a memory to me and I'll never forget it because those two people were just the sweetest, nicest people yep. ever. And they made it happen for me in that moment. And it's just one of those moments where we'd won second place. So I was thrilled about that. And it, it, you know, I just kind of didn't have a place to go and, and get my medal and th they made it a special moment for me. So see, see I think that that's cool. I think that's really cool for you because I don't remember whoever gave me my medal ever. Mm. right like it, mm -hmm. I, I and for you to have that connection with a staff member like that, that like that's that's mm -hmm. that's really cool and, and gabe yeah. was such a great guy yeah you know, um, like he, i loved him was, to death but he was for sure one of my favorites i mean he was the one who supported me through 06 learning that new part uh he repaired my horn one time when i messed it up like, he fixed cristobal's horn too yeah yes he did uh Thank he, God. and he was just just the nicest guy would do anything for you in the world. And uh, just he's he's one of the people who sticks out to me every time I think of drum corps. So people like him, people like Brian Prado, people like Beef, like yeah. they, they're the people who, when I think of the Jersey Surf, they're who pops out. They are who pops out. Yeah. I, I mean, Jason Bentley, Paul Nye to me, like along with those other ones, like they are. They're the staff members who made it for me. And, and there, there were some other good ones. Don't get me wrong. But it just when you have that kind of connection like you had with Gabe, whether it be just a conversation, whether it be them helping you work out something that maybe you didn't know and then going above and beyond and spending that little bit of extra time with you, like that was always awesome. Yeah. And that, that's, that's something that when I taught, I tried to be like – I wasn't the best player in the world, but if I ever saw one of my tubas over there, like playing something, working through it, if I can go at least sit there and listen to it with them, right? And maybe they can talk their way through it and talk it out and figure it out. Like that's that's worth it to me. Maybe I didn't lend a iota of knowledge their way, but they had something that wasn't a wall to, to talk it through. Like that was always cool. And that was always... But I'll just say one more quick thing, because um, it was just always a great memory for me, um, was walking out as drum major in 07, and we would lead the corps out onto the field in two lines, right? And we'd, we'd walk right down the 50, and then we'd hit a certain point where it would all just break, and everybody would spread out and go to their spots. And uh, I had a moment there where I would turn around and I would find two of my favorite people in that drum corps, Christopher Davis and Travis Burlingame, and I'd give them a little 
fist pump. Yes. Uh, or, or, yeah. And uh, have a good show. Sorry. And have a good show. Yep. That's what we say to each other. And then we'd go find our opening spot. And that to me, that was also another one of my like just favorite drum corps memories. I, I, I always loved uh, when somebody got that or whoever it was at finals got that picture. Yeah. There's a picture. There's, there's there. a picture of, of Travis and I like bumping fists and you had just turned around so like all three of us are in the shot and there is not a single other member of the drum corps in the shot really? Every, i don't think i've ever seen there, that there's a picture oh, man, it's it's on it. facebook we'll have to find it and then like post it on the, on on twitter or something oh, like yeah, that but there's please. there's literally there's a picture of you i think you're in the upper corner and travis yeah. and i are in the middle and you can tell the three of us had just connected and there's yeah. no one else on the field that you can see everybody else was in the upper corner getting ready for that first set yeah yeah, I love that first set. <laughs> Sorry. Well, well, we'll talk about that another time. <laughs> too many stories to tell, right? Yeah. I mean, Travis and I always talk, whenever we bring up drum corps, we always talk about it, right? There's, there's too many stories. I mean, we could go on and on and talk about, yeah. like, 2008, you know, when you weren't a drum major anymore and you were back on the field and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, be, it, it, I'm sure that we could spend a lot of time on age-out ceremony from that year. And and all of the the BS in my opinion behind it. Um, yeah. There's there's a there's a lot of, and I'm sure that anybody else listening who was a, either a, an age out or a part of that drum corps in 2008 would be equally as angry as well. Yeah, there but was, yeah, we was... can we can save that for a different time because there's that memories 2008. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> really. Um, Even if they weren't so good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, um, this is awesome. I, I yeah. think I think it, I'm not saying this because I'm staring at the clock and I know I have a lot to edit and I always mention that every single week but like it, you you two are my favorite two Berlin games like I, I I have the connection with the two of you like more more than Jill like Carla I, like Travis I'm sorry Carla is my number one favorite Berlin game but Travis I can put you at number two and and I and I can say that because like I I don't know Jill as well as yes, as the two of you I'll drop down to number three. <laughs> But like I like I've had the connection with the two of you. I've literally known the two of you for like the same amount of time and we all have like different connections all around this drum corps and I'm sure that we could sit here and kick it um with all sorts of different stories and, and all that sort of stuff. But I don't want to burn ourselves out right now and uh maybe we come back and have like a favorite episode story or just like pick a random story episode that maybe nobody else has heard for the first time and just kick mm -hmm. it back and and go after it. Um but for the time being uh, thank you for being the, the last minute addition and joining us on the podcast today. Uh, this has been a blast. Yeah, it has been. And thank you guys so much for inviting me on. I, I understand that Chris wasn't even quite aware of the fact that I had been invited on. Blew but, my mind. Uh, he, he went with it and it has been a blast. I was, I have to say when I got the text message, I was kind of like to talk about what, but I shouldn't have worried about it because you guys are we, we got that. We're professionals. We're 13 yeah. episodes in now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on. We're almost to the point where we're not even close to getting paid for this. We are we're so professional. Yeah. <laughs> See, we're further away from episode one each and every episode we record. Yes, that's, you are. that's how it works. We're closer to 25 than we are to zero. See? Boom. There you go. Those are, those are the closing remarks. Carla, any final words you want to say either for us, for the listeners out there, for any special shout outs you want to give, anything like that, floor is yours, 30 seconds. 
And just stay healthy, people. Uh, you know, it's it's crazy time. And I, I heard somebody say the other day, and I, I truly uh, agree, I'm ready for some precedented times rather than all these unprecedented times we've been That's living through. That's such a good way to put yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, just stay safe and healthy. And uh, thanks to you guys. Travis, anything from you, brother? Uh, no, nothing really. I, I, I found that picture, so I'm going to send it to you right away, Carla. Um, thank you so much for listening. I love you all, and uh, I hope we have some exciting things coming for the listeners down the road. There we go. There we go. Well, I'll take us home, the Berlin Games. Uh, guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you to everybody who is tuned in and who is still at this point of the episode. I know uh, we have been uh, lacking in some of the clips recently, and I know that that's been a fun part for us to put together. We're still trying to figure this out and 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 kind of hone down our podcasting skills. But don't worry, we're going to have some clips coming out this next week. If You uh, you probably should have already seen them by the time that you're listening at this point in the episode. But thank you guys so much for listening. As always, make sure you're connecting with us on Twitter, whether it's Travis and I's personal Twitter or our Masterful Podcast Twitter, which is at MasterfulPod. Uh, go connect with us over there. Interact with us. Give us reactions to the clips. Give us reactions to some stories. Tell some own stories of, uh, of, of your own. And, uh, and it's all going to be a good time. And we'll also throw Carla's Twitter on there as well because Carla's kind of new to the Twitter world and we need to get her acclimated. So she's going to need some follows. People, if four people click follow, she has doubled her follower count. Okay? It's going to be so good. So we're going to blow up Carla's Twitter immediately after this for like a decade guys i'm not new to it <laughs> so carla carla the technology teacher is new to twitter so we're gonna double her followers after this entire episode and it's you know what it's gonna be great you, even in your hearts she's gonna become your favorite berlin game but guys thank you so much for joining us we appreciate you you guys stay healthy out there and we will catch you guys in the next one okay. peace peace AKA Boring!